We are starting a brand new series today called Acts. It's about the book of Acts, and I have been excited about this series for a while. It's a sequel series. We just finished a series here at the gathering uh, going through the month of August called The Way of Jesus. In that series, we studied the Gospels to see what it really means to follow the way. We've been studying Jesus' teachings and the way that he developed his disciples and the things that he did all throughout the Gospels. Uh, in order to learn how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So this series is a sequel to that series, which is perfect because the book of Acts is also a sequel. Uh, The book of Acts is the beginning of the story of the church. In, In the last series, we finished by talking about how Jesus' plan for us as we go forward is to be the church, and as the church to impact our communities, our cities, and the world itself. Acts is that story. It's the continuation of what Jesus starts in the gospel message. Now, Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Both were written by Luke. Luke is is the writer of both Acts and the gospel of Luke. Luke was a Greek doctor from a place called Antioch. Luke was born a Gentile, a Greek. He was a Greek physician, and that makes him unique in the Bible because every other book of the Bible was born by someone who was was written by someone who was born Jewish. Luke is different. And Luke is different and special in that way because at the season where Luke was writing, the gospel message of Jesus was exploding to the whole world. There were people who were uh, Greek who were coming into faith. There were Romans coming into faith, people who from Asia and Africa coming into faith. And Luke became a voice for them and wrote a gospel that was really oriented towards them. Each of the gospels has kind of its own direction that it's written in. Matthew's gospel is very much written to the Jewish audience. There's a lot in his gospel that would make a lot of sense to a Jewish audience. But Luke's gospel was written for his Greek friends and peers. He addresses it to a guy called Theophilus. Theophilus. And we don't really know a lot about Theophilus. Uh, there's a lot of theories about him. There's a lot of people, you know, trying to figure out, trying to, have you, if you're a Star Wars fan, there's like a backstory for every small character that doesn't say anything in the movies now. And that's kind of what's happening with poor Theophilus. He's got all kinds of fan fiction and backstories. But the reality is we don't know a lot. We assume because he has a very Greek name that he is a Greek peer of Luke's or a leader with influence of Luke's who is interested in the gospel message. And so Luke is writing to him. We think that this uh, book was written uh, in the, about the year 62 or 63 AD. And the reason for that is the way that the book of Acts ends. It finishes off right as uh, Peter, uh, Paul is in Rome waiting for a trial. And it kind of abruptly ends. We don't get, if you read through the book of Acts, you don't get to find out what happens next. It's just Paul's in Rome and he's in jail and he's waiting for trial and that's where we end. We think the best reason for it ending that way is because it ends in real time. That that's when uh, Luke was writing this message. Now Luke uh, met the Apostle Paul about 18 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And he traveled with him. He spent time with the other apostles, that is, the original 12 disciples of Jesus minus Judas. Uh, And he learned the stories of Jesus' ministry here on earth from the men who were there, who were with him, who were spending time with him and doing ministry with him. And so as he writes the Gospel of Luke, he is writing it based on those firsthand 
first-hand accounts and then with input from the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, He writes this gospel in the same way that he writes the book of Acts to Theophilus. Acts is like a a follow-up letter to the book of Luke. It picks up right where Luke leaves off, and it, it gives us all the next steps and the beginning of the church. In fact, I believe that Acts is of incredible importance, incredible importance to you and I today because it is our role to carry on the work that was started here in the book of Acts. We are the church today, just as they were the church then. There's a lot of speculation right now and conversation about what the church is, what it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to operate and look like, and what, what, what are some things that maybe it's getting wrong. And There's all this kind of speculation and conversation about the church right now. And if we really want answers to those questions, the best place to go is right to the source, the beginning of the church, which happens in the book of Acts. It's all right here. You and I have been called as Christians and followers of Jesus to pursue the work that begins in Acts chapter 1. And so we need to know it, we need to understand it, and we need to live out of it instead of going years and years removed from it and trying to do different and new things. We need to get back to who the church was always made to be. Here's what I believe, that what we're doing, the way that we worship, the way that we come together, we we see the exact same models and, and ways happening in the book of Acts. But there's been a lot of things added over time, and what we've always been trying to do here at The Gathering is just continue the work that starts right there. And so uh, I'm so excited. And if you're here too and you're new or it's your first time or maybe you've been here a while and you just, you don't consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is the perfect series for you to be a part of. Because now you get to hear, you've heard all about what the church is or isn't. Now you get to find out what it truly is from the source itself, the very beginning of the church. The book of Acts is crucial reading and crucial study for anyone who's ever been interested in faith or who is pursuing faith. And so today we're going to get into the first two chapters, and I'm so excited to see what we can learn. This picks up right where the gospel of Luke leaves off. It says in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about, by the way, if you're pregnant and looking for names, I present to you Theophilus. You could call him Theo, you could call him Phil, you could call him Lus, up to you. I wrote all about, I I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, like they poked him. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud. And they're doing exactly what you and I would do if somebody just went up into space right in front of us. They're there with their mouths agape. And then they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So after Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples left from that place. There were about 120 of them present. About 120 people watched Jesus ascend into the heavens, which is pretty remarkable. And of those 120, 11 of them were the remaining disciples. At this point, uh, Judas, uh, the, uh, Acts tells us that Judas has taken his own life out of remorse and guilt for betraying Jesus. And so the 11 of them and then some others went to the upper room and then everyone else gathered outside. The same place where they had hosted the Last Supper. It says in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they prayed and they waited. And from the 120, they chose someone named Matthias to replace Judas. Matthias had been a part of this ministry since the very beginning. That was what their qualification was. They said, let's find someone who served with us all along and they voted and they chose this man and now they've got 12 again. They've got the 12 men, but it does make a point to say over and over that uh, the women who followed Jesus and Mary were with the disciples at this point because Christianity has always been a faith that has given a place of prominence to women who lead. As they sat in the upper room with the rest outside and they prayed and waited just as they were instructed to do, 10 days go by. Now, I just want you to imagine what this is like. These guys have just been in a whirlwind. There was the crucifixion night and the trials and the fear and they were running and they were hiding and then there was the crucifixion itself and they just thought everything is over and they're in this emotional turmoil. But then three days later, Jesus comes out of the grave. And then there's this season where they're just with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus and he's teaching them still and he's sharing some with them and they're seeing unbelievable things and they're eating with him and then he gives them some final instructions and ascends into heaven and now it's like oh my goodness they're downloading in this they're just they're giving a big breath of oh my gosh what is happening right now and then they're just waiting for 10 days they've been given this assignment this job Jesus says Go and make disciples. You are my witnesses. Go to the ends of the earth. But before you do it, wait. They've been given a job to do, but they don't have the means to pull it off yet. So they wait. And in Acts chapter 2, we see what they were waiting for. The day of Pentecost arrives. Pentecost is a, a minor festival in the Jewish tradition at this time. Just celebrating the first harvest that's about to start. And the people are gathered for it. And this is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus stayed on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection. He was taken into heaven and now 10 days have gone by. And now it's Pentecost. And on this day, something wild happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is to say, isn't everybody who's talking from Mississippi, number 50, out of all the public educations in America? And then, sorry, miss, I'm from South Carolina. We were 49 and we were grateful for you, okay? So, sorry. Um, aren't all of those speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? In the Old Testament, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, descended from the heavens in the form of fire on multiple occasions. There's this incredible moment where Moses is being called to be a deliverer of God's people, to be a tool to be used by God, a messenger of the voice of God. And the way that he's called into the presence of God is a fire that is upon this bush but not consuming it. And from this fire comes the voice of God and comes the power of God. Later, after the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they're in the desert space, they have a temporary house of worship called the tabernacle. And when the Spirit of God would descend upon that tabernacle and dwell there, it would come in a pillar of fire that wouldn't burn it up. In fact, when Moses would go to Mount Sinai to meet with God, this mountain, this special place where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses to be brought to the people, as long as they were instructed to wait at the foot of that mountain, which was a long time, a pillar of fire was upon the mountain that was telling them that this was where the presence of God was. And as they were called to move forward and go on to the Promised Land, it was a pillar of fire that led them up to the Jordan. Fire had been a manifestation of the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament and in stories that all of these men would have grown up with and around. And now here in Acts chapter 2, for the last time, the presence of God descends to the earth in the form of fire that doesn't burn or consume. And it's shaped like a tongue and it rests on the disciples' heads before filling them up. And in this moment, one of the most important moments in all of Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within the creation of God. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter, Peter, Simon Peter, the same Peter that 50 days before this denied to everyone who asked that he had ever even met Jesus. He was absolutely crippled by the fear of what they would do to him if they found out. He didn't want to be arrested or tried or killed the way that he believed Jesus was going to be. He was horrified. And yet, 50 days later, two big things happen. He encounters the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells him. And Peter stands up in front of a crowd of thousands and declares the message of Jesus Christ. He says, you, he's in Jerusalem where the trial and the crucifixion took place just 50 days prior. And he says, you crucified Jesus, but he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he has come to give all of us life and so serve him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Know him, serve him. And in that day, it says 3,000 people became followers of the way of Jesus Christ. 
It's an incredible moment, and it is the birth of the church. The second chapter of Acts closes with this beautiful passage that shows us the immediate aftermath and the moment that the church goes from this scattered gathering of followers to being the bride of Christ, to being the church in itself. Acts chapter two, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's the birth of the church. It doesn't happen on a stage. It happens here and around the table and in homes and uh, in churches and in synagogues and in courtrooms and in moments of healing and in moments of giving and in moments of sacrifice and in moments of serving the church is born. And so let's look at this passage, these first couple chapters of Acts, and let's see what our big three takeaways are that we can go home with today, knowing about the church and how it started and where our role is in it. First thing is this, we have a job to do. We have a job to do, church. Acts chapter one begins with the most essential element to the formation of the early church, the mission of the church. Chapter one says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to, Judea, to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Luke's translation of what we call the Great Commission. Matthew recorded it this way. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The mission of the church we call it the Great Commission. Here's what it means. For three years, Jesus did the work of healing people, serving people, loving people. He saw people that nobody else saw. He ate with people that nobody else was willing to eat with. Over and over again, he declared that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he urged people to get ready for it. He helped through his life and teaching people to understand how to really live in a way that honors God and brings us closer to how he created us to live. He helped us to understand that, he only, that the only way for us to be in a relationship with God was through him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then he completed that work by being sacrificed on the cross as a blood atonement for our sins. In one fell swoop, he became what John the Baptist called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah, the prophet from 600 years prior, said it this way, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so he was laid in the ground. And after three days, something wonderful happened. He walked out of that grave. And he said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, I died and behold, I live forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. And after 40 days of declaring that message to whomever would listen, he looked at his followers, the ones who went before you and I, who we are the heirs to. And he said, all of this work that I have done, I pass it on to you now. I will give you the power that you need. It is your turn. Make disciples. Declare the kingdom of heaven. Tell them this story, the message of the gospel. Serve people, love people, see people that nobody else sees and go places that nobody else will go. That's our job now. That's the role of the church. That's what we were created to do, what we've been called to do. And every single one who is a part of it has been called to it. I remember when we uh, set out to start this church back in 2016. Actually, if we kick it back to 2014, I met with 30 different churches. Uh, If you've ever wondered how a church comes into being, you start it the way that you would start a lot of businesses. You go and you, you get backers, people to support you and to not just pray with you and, and, and uh, give you wisdom and knowledge, but also to support you financially to go out and do it. And I remember I met with 30 different churches all around the country, uh, flew, drove, took, did every, I mean, walked sometimes, you know, I don't know, from a long parking lot away and went and met with 30 different churches to share with them the vision that God had given us to bring a life-giving church into the city of Asheville. And 27 of those people, 27, looked me in the eyes and said, you cannot plant a church in Asheville, North Carolina. That is a place where churches go to die. That is a place, there's a church graveyard. You don't want any part of it. Those people don't want a church. That's like going fishing in a spot where all the fish have left. You're bringing them something they're not asking for. Go plant a church in Charlotte. Go plant a church in Raleigh. Go plant a church in Atlanta. Go plant a church in Charleston and we'll support you but we won't back a church that's going to Asheville. But three, three churches of whom I am forever grateful to. My brothers in Christ, my spiritual fathers, they looked at us and said, we believe it is the mission of the church to go where nobody else will go. We believe it is the mission of the church to find the people that everyone else has overlooked and bring the gospel message and the work of the gospel into those places so that their lives may be changed forevermore. We are with you. We support you. We believe in you. We see God's call and we're going to support it. And so here we are eight years later as the church going where people don't want us to go. Because this is the call. And I know it's a difficult call because from your seat, it means that you've got to tell your coworkers and your neighbors and the people you encounter about the gospel message of Jesus Christ in a city where maybe they don't want you to. I know it's difficult. 
I've sat in those awkward conversations before. Listen, people ask me all the time, what do you do for work? And I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I have to respond. Sometimes I even lie. I say, I work with people. That's not a lie. It is the truth. I say, I do people work. You know, I'm in a nonprofit. I'm in the sector, the nonprofit sector. (laughs) I know it's difficult. We have been called as the church to go and see the people that nobody else sees, to go to the places where nobody else will go to bring this message, this story into as many hearts as possible. I remember working in the Coast Guard, I was always nervous about whether or not people wanted me to share my faith with them, but I also knew that I couldn't talk about who I was without talking about who Jesus was, that there was no way that I could serve alongside somebody and keep from them the very thing that had rescued and changed me. I had to share it because it was the, the, the job and the role and the mission I had been called to and it was the very thing that had transformed and changed me forever and so I decided to go and church now we're in it together and here's the good news because it's hard it's hard but we don't have to do it alone number two is this All of this may come across a little intimidating. We've got to go and make disciples. It's not my job. It's our job. But we don't have to do it alone. Jesus told his followers that this was the work they had to do. He gave them the assignment. But he knew they couldn't do it alone. And so he told them just to wait. He said, here's your mission. Here's the job I'm calling you to. But you're not ready for it yet. So just Wait. Help is on the way. Something is coming that's going to give you the tools you need to do the work you have to do. I wonder if you've ever felt called to do something or known that you were just supposed to do it. You felt it in your bones, but you just weren't ready yet. You didn't have the equipment or the tools or even the ability to go and do this thing. Maybe you have felt called to a certain ministry, but before you get there, you need some training, some tooling, some experience. You need to serve. Maybe you were called to help somebody, but right now you just don't have the means to help them. Maybe you've got to accept that you've been called, but you've got to be patient to wait for the right timing. Maybe your role right now isn't to begin, but rather to pray and wait for the timing of the Holy Spirit. The disciples did just that. And after some time, they had no idea how long it would be, by the way. I imagine after three days, they're like, isn't three days kind of the thing? Isn't that's how long we waited last time? And it's like day five. So what's going on? How long do we have to sit here for? When is this Holy Spirit guy coming? What does he look like? Will we know him when we see him? What is our weeks gone by? And they're like, okay, what is this? Is it going to be like a long, long time? You know, because the sleeping arrangement kind of stinks in here. And so I'm wondering, should we get a hotel in town somewhere and then wait? Maybe in on our own, you know, after we've had some time to relax a little bit. It's been a stressful couple of months. And so it's not what they did. They just waited. And then one day there was an inside wind. And you know something big is about to happen when there's an inside wind. You're watching a Harry Potter movie and there's an inside wind. Oh my goodness, there's something big about to happen in that room. An inside wind happens and all of a sudden the presence of God descends upon them in power. In all the history of humanity, nothing like this has ever happened. Now, the Holy Spirit has temporarily empowered the people of God to do the work of God going all the way back to the earliest history of humanity. But this one was different. In this moment, the power and the presence of God came to rest upon the creation of God. 
We were going to get into this more in detail later in the fall. After we finished the book of Acts, we got at the movies. And it's one of my favorite series of the year, y'all. We got, uh, you know, I'm Indiana Jones 5. You know me. You know I'm all about some Indiana Jones. I'm going to have 80-year-old Indiana Jones in here. We're going to learn the gospel from. We got the gospel according to Creed uh, Creed 3. About to punch somebody up in this space. And I'm so excited. I love at the movies because it's, a, it's just an incredible opportunity for you to bring your friends and for us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them in a creative way. And then right after we finish bringing them the gospel, we're doing a series called The God I Never Knew where we're going to give them the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend several weeks talking about Acts chapter 2 and all this that happens and unpack what the Holy Spirit is, how he moves, how he works, and how we can grow in power in the Holy Spirit. And that's coming. And so today I don't have time to unpack the depths of what happens here uh, and, and all of that. But here's the bottom line. Because of this moment... We do not have to do the work that Jesus called us to do on our own. We have power available to us to do it. Jesus talks to his disciples about it in John 14. He says, the helper, uh, some translations say the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit gives us peace, power, wisdom, and a whole host of gifts from above. So yes, church, the work that we are called to do together is difficult, but we don't do it on our own power or in our own accord. It's better than that. We have the power of God at work within us to equip and gift each of us differently to do this mission together. And that's another great takeaway from the book of Acts and where we close today. We don't have to do it alone. I know that was the second point as well. No, I didn't run out of creativity. I believe this is an important moment. We don't have to do it alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us to be the church and to do the mission of the church, but that's not all. We have one another. We are the church. I am not the church. The band is not the church. The Sunday morning experience is incredible and fuels the church and brings us together in worship. It is not the church. We are the church. The people sitting around you who've been gifted differently than you, who were created differently than you, who have had different life experiences than you, who've been through different things than you. They were meant to come alongside of you as one body made of many parts to accomplish the work that Jesus called us and created us to do. This is a big revelation in the book of Acts. We talk about Acts as the story of the church's beginning, and that's important to see. It's not just what all the disciples did after Jesus went into heaven. Acts isn't that. It's not like an epilogue from an 80s movie where it it blanks out, and it's like Benny the Jet Rodriguez went on to play 16 seasons in Major League Baseball. That's not what Acts is. It's not an epilogue. It's a beginning. It's the beginning of the work that you've been given to finish, that you've been given to carry on unto completion until the day of Christ. And it's how in the beginning, these people all from all over the world and all different backgrounds and circumstances, it's how they came together to work together to change the world. We see it starting in the gospels. 
Jesus doesn't do everything himself. He goes to some fishermen and he says, Simon, Peter, come follow me and don't do it alone. Bring your brother Andrew as well. What about these fishermen over here? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you come as well. Come follow me. You know what? We need somebody crazy. Let's get Simon the Zealot over here. Simon, come be zealous with us. You know what we really need now is a sinner. Matthew, the tax collector, leave your tax collecting behind and come and follow me. And he builds this community of people that are wildly different from one another, from all different walks of life. And he teaches them how to use their unique and different giftings to do the work of the church. And when he leaves, they realize it all becomes clear. He called us for a purpose. He put us together for a purpose. Not that each one of us would go and have our individual incredible ministries, but so that together we could be the church and continue the work of Jesus Christ in this new world that we're living in. That's who we are. And we see it starting here in Acts. And one of my favorite passages, if, if you're new to this church, you're gonna get prepared that at least twice a series I preach from this passage. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had a need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right now in practicing the way, we're learning about community and how to operate and live in it. If you don't know what practicing the way is, it's our church's model to help you become more like Jesus, to, to be with him, to be like him, to become like him. It's our discipleship plan. It's, it's just where we teach spiritual disciplines, practices of Jesus. And there's a large group teaching and we unleash a new practice on you. And then you go into small groups for the rest of the month where you just learn how to live it out in community. Our, our practice for this month is community. And so many of you right now are having these conversations in your groups about what it means to really do these things, to live alongside one another in a real community, to show up when there's a need, to show up when somebody is in need and to care for them and provide for them, to celebrate together, to go through life's biggest and smallest moments together. We see it in our practice right now. We're seeing it in the book of Acts right here. They're caring for one another. They, 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 want, they go to church together. They, they eat together. They pray together. They talk about the good things that God is doing together. They share with one another. They give to one another when there's a need. They're honest about their needs. Church, sometimes we're not very honest about what we need, and that's why nobody is helping us. They're vulnerable. They go to small group. They do serve projects. They take care of their neighbors together and it was this community in action that led to people giving their lives to Jesus every day. This is something that you need to understand. That there, there's a, a moment in the beginning of Acts 2 where there's a great sermon that brings a lot of people into community, but it is the community that adds to people being saved every single day. It said that the way that they were caring for one another, loving one another, operating in unison together as a church, 
that it, it brought them favor with the people around them. The people around them were like, well, I may not believe everything you're saying, but I can't deny it with how good you're living. And it gave them favor. And then God was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. It is the church being the church that changes cities. It is not a pastor or a preacher or a worshiper. It's, it's not anybody on a stage that changes whole cities. It's when the church operates as the church. When we come together, when we love one another and care for one another and people begin to notice they need to be a part of it because they were made to be a part of it. We have a hunger inside of us for this kind of community. And this is when the church began. You see the church in the first hundred years go from 3,000 here to 3 million people. Why? Because of this passage. Because of the way that they're living as the church. We've been called together to be the church, to do the work of the church, to tell people about the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, who he is, what he's offered us, to tell people about all that's been done just for me by him. And then we've been called to be filled with his Holy Spirit that he might empower us to continue the very same works that he did in his time here on earth. And we've been called to do those things together. That's what the church is. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, but you're ready to be a part of something like that, to enter into that kind of community, here's what I could tell you, that the entry part is easy. All the work's been done for you. Being a part of a church is hard. People are messy, life is messy. And Jesus said, you're gonna face trials of all kinds. As I have suffered, so will you suffer. But he also promises you'll never have to do it alone. And so if you're ready to begin that journey today, every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. For every mistake I've made for trying to do it on my own, I believe in you. I want more of you. I want to know you. I want to follow you in all that I am from this day forward. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.